Greetings, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Cannabis Community Insider, a podcast featuring helpful conversations with top influencers shaping the cannabis landscape today, including business leaders, government officials, community stakeholders, and other key players. Join us as we explore a multitude of diverse perspectives, opinions, and questions from across the fast-moving cannabis universe. And of course, if you'd like to dive deeper into the cannabis community, where you can engage, connect, and discover, please visit us at www.thecannabiscommunity.org. Today, we have a very exciting episode to present you. We are going to be interviewing six exclusive groups of social equity applicants in the state of Illinois who not only applied for a license, but were actually selected to participate in the lottery. We have not heard their stories before, and today is the first time that we'll be able to listen and learn more about who they are, what brings them to the industry, and what their plans are for 2021 pending a, a license. We've got a lot of exciting things to talk about today. So with uh, further ado, I'm going to introduce our co-host, Mark Pesakovich, who will introduce our guests and get the show started. It's off to you, Mark. Hello, everybody. Uh, very exciting. So we're doing uh, the six in the mix, what we think of as the true six social equity um, applicants uh, who are now in the lottery. And I guess there's actually only five out of the six, but I think you're all represented as it were. So, um, uh, you know, include your, um, include your sixth partner in the introductions, whoever wants to take that on. Um, rather than uh, talking about each one of you, I think it's just easier to just move right in and ask each of you to just introduce yourselves, your company, and maybe your company philosophy. Um, and, you know, of course, we don't have a lot of time. So if you could do it relatively quickly in sound bites, that would be great. But uh, we'll just do, you know what, we'll do ladies first. Uh, I think we'll, we're all okay with that. Alphabetically, we'll pick on Edie first. So uh, Edie, good to see you. The world's going to want to know. So tell everyone who doesn't already know Edie, who Edie is, and uh, uh, tell us about Terra House. Well, hi, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us today. Um, my name is Edie Moore. Most people, if they do know me, know me as the executive director of Chicago Normal. Um, I'm not here today representing Chicago Normal, although um, that is one of the hats that I wear very proudly all the time. But today I'm here representing um, my company that applied for uh, dispensary and grow and, and transportation infusion license, Terra House. I applied with my husband as a social equity applicant. We live in a DIA, we are both veterans and uh, we put together our team because we have been here before. We also applied in the medical round and won two licenses, both to grow and to dispense. Um, we were, although we were successful in that uh, endeavor, we were not able to hold on because we were such low equity holders and we were determined that that was not gonna be us this time. So we are um, running our company together and we're so happy to be here to talk about it. Thank you, Edie, uh, very much. Kiana, uh, back to you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Kiana Hughes. I am here representing our group, So Baked LLC. 
I am actually a, um, a smaller share owner of that company. It is 51% owned by um, Brittany and also Tyrone Branch, who is a veteran. They um, both live in DIAs. Um, I'm here as the spokesperson for that particular group. And what makes So Baked such a um, different and unique you know, part of even why I signed on with this team is because Brittany and Tyrone's vision of what they want So Baked to be a place for everybody. So um, very inclusive of the LGBTQIA plus community, um, as well as, you know, Black, Blacks and Latinx and all the people. It's just a very inclusive space um, and just a, a really great vision for providing opportunities for um, you know, youth, of course, of age, but to really be able to um, receive training as well as a place to you know be a part of the industry and a place to just really learn and grow. And so that is why we we exist, and that's why I joined that team, um, and that's why I'm here today. Wonderful. So um, why don't we move to uh, Dante? Dante, good to see you here today. Thanks for being with us. For those perhaps few folks who don't know uh, who you are and um, who you represent, would you tell us a little bit? How are you doing? I'm Dante Townsend. I represent Make Peace LLC, which is a 51% minority veteran-owned company. Uh, me, myself, I come from a, a disproportionately impacted area uh, and I qualify as a social equity applicant. Um, me and my team uh, are an organic set of individuals that have always been in this cannabis space and have came together because we knew that we could, uh, you know, compile a, a great application and, and be able to compete amongst the existing operating market. Um, together, we all came to really make an impactful change, uh, you know, immediately once uh, we get our license as far as our whole just agenda to, to be able to not only get a license, but to be able to open doors and opportunities for people that look at us to for entry into this industry. So um, our kind of motto is to just really be, you know, loving and organic, and then also to be able to be uh, competitive and, and, and skillful at what we do. Well, thank you. And, and, and seeing as how this is not actual television, it gives me the opportunity to add commentary because I don't have to be an unbiased news outlet. And so one thing that I just, if you don't mind, if I take a second, just to point out one of the things that I got to know the first about Dante years ago is his family, because I noticed he'd bring his beautiful kids and wife uh, to these rallies. And there was one, one um, time in particular where Dante spoke uh, and his kids and wife were standing in the back of the room. Uh, and I uh, looked at his kids' faces uh, and they just absolutely lit up because their daddy was at the front of the room and everybody was paying attention to him and he was the big man in the room. And that's when I really realized as a white guy just how important this is on so many other levels than, other than just cannabis in and of itself. So that was sort of an epiphany moment for me, but I, it also speaks to the long haul. You were here uh, you know, putting yourself out, putting your family out there, taking valuable family time and, and, and doing 
you know, the community's work. Uh, and I, I'd just be remiss if I didn't comment on that. That always stuck in my head. So I apologize for um, going on this riff, but uh, I wanted to note it. So we'll do what I wanted to do. If you'll notice with my method to my madness is we started with Terra House. So we'll wrap up with Terra House and we'll go to uh, row next of green equity ventures. And I actually have a great anecdote uh, about row row. You and I don't know each other well, but I'm a consultant. I help people with licenses, among other things. And I had the other green equity ventures as a, as a client. And so for about 30 seconds there, I got real excited when the names came out. Uh, and then I went, oh, uh, but you know what? I Frankly, if you know me, you know that I'm uh, just as happy to see you get it. And uh, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your green equity ventures as well as yourself. Our company's name is actually Green Equity Ventures One. So you can remain Green Equity Ventures. <laughs> um, as you mentioned my name is uh, Ro Davis. I am the social equity applicant for our group. I'm 51%, uh, I mean, 51% owner. Uh, I'm a veteran, 13 years, uh, and I live in an area that was disproportionately affected uh, by the war on drugs. Um, before the cannabis industry, you know, I have, uh, I am a activist and an entrepreneur for the last 20 years. Um, I'm a developer. I currently own a couple of business incubators where we're working, uh, to rebuild the community. Um, we are working primarily along 79th street to create what we call the Blacknificent Mile miles and miles of thriving black businesses. And so one of the things that we wanted to do with Green Equity Ventures One is we wanted to create a funding source uh, that would empower uh, our vision to redevelop our community. The war on drugs destroyed it and we want to use the plant to rebuild it. And we also want to be able to pull more African-Americans forward um, so that we can create more equity in the space. So we're a mission-driven company, very deeply rooted in community development. You know, there is a discussion on the table um, about, you know, what are the individuals who are going to get a license? What are they going to put back in the community? Uh, well, you don't have to guess at what we'll do because we're already doing it. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, I'd be, again, remiss to say as a refugee who came here when I was 10 years old from a place where I was beaten up for my religion, just want to thank you for being a veteran. Uh, there are, uh, what, what I have here, what my daughter has here is not free. You paid the price um, and um, so did other veterans. And that's why I believe that uh, believe strongly that veterans ought to have a role to play in these applications or the veteran status, albeit in a way that's fair for everybody. But I want to thank you for your service, Rowan. Um, Sean, so Sweet Greens, what's up with Sweet Greens? Oh, uh, my name is Sean Mason. I'm representing Sweet Greens. It's uh, MBO with the uh, Walter Killingsworth is the 51% minority owner. Um, Sweet Greens basically is friends uh, coming together from a real estate background, hence the name Sweet, then Greens. Uh, I myself am strictly on the South Side as a developer, as a rehabber. I have over 40 units on the South Side, and that business is called Building Better Communities. So 
what Sweet Greens is about is really community driven. Uh, we really want to get back. And I think our philosophy is just to try to find ways to get better each and every day and help as many people as we possibly can. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Uh, and uh, I guess we'll circle back to uh, Craig from Terra House now. Craig, uh, you want yep. yourself and, uh, you know, whatever Edie might have missed. She did a good um, job of describing Terra House and why we were in this. The only thing that I would add is that the um, the, the idea behind what we were trying to do with this project was improve upon our performance the last time around and to help try to bring some of this home, try to bring it back into economic activity. And not all of it has to do with growing the plants. It's the business of building these businesses and expanding them. We want to bring that to the area. It'll be good for, it'll be good for whatever area it's in. And we'd like it to, we'd like to bring some of that home. Because we think there's a lot of people around here that would benefit from it and appreciate it. So that's it for now. All right. Well, thank you. Um, so I think, uh, you know, we all talk about uh, social equity. A lot of folks have started using the term true social equity or true social equity applicants. I think as, as is the case with a lot of things in our world, it sort of becomes a you know, code words for a definition, but I don't think everybody necessarily has the same definition in mind. And so I thought what would be really useful would be to sort of, uh, you know, go around the horn again. And by the way, don't feel like you have to answer every question, but starting with Edie, I'm sure you've given some thought to what that really means, Edie, which is true social equity. What, what does that mean to you? And I guess, you know, if that's, uh, you know, grassroots, what's AstroTurf, maybe what's not true social <laughs> equity by implication? Um, well, we've discussed that in this uh, um, amongst um, these, this group here. And we believe what, what makes us different and what makes us true social equity is that we are not backed by uh, any MSO whatsoever. We, um, we own and we plan to be owners and operators of our um, of our organizations. And um, you know, there's no management agreement to dig down into. It's it's us. It's we're we're creating this for us by us. Does that feel? Does that ring to, true to all of you? Does anybody want to um, add anything? I see Ro unmuted. Ro. Yeah, I'll add. I think she beautifully said it. But um, you know, I would just simply add that we are unapologetically Black. You know, we are um, indigenous to the community um, and we're already rooted. And I believe that we all represent the uh, legitimate aspirations of our community uh, who desperately want to play a role uh, in this uh, industry. And so we are the hope and the promise that there is fairness in the process. Thank you, Edie. I would also add that um, um, we might want to talk about uh, where we got our funding. Um, our funding is also um, organically biased. We reached out to people who look like us first for funding, um, bootstrapping it the whole way. And I know that that's probably no different than any others uh, or a lot of others. That. I think that's important where where we got the money. Kiana, did you want to jump in? 
Yeah, but it wasn't about where we got the money, though, so I don't know. That That's fine. We're good. Okay. It's a free-flowing conversation. I, I think a, where you got the money is an important point, but, you know, you're not on all here to provide your financial disclosures. You did that in uh, application, so we're, we're not going to grill you on that. But, you know, I think the, uh, uh, that, that people of color um, uh, trying to bring other people of color into ownership in this industry and creating what we talk about as generate intergenerational wealth, um, I think is obviously very, very meaningful, but not the only thing, but Kiana, go for it. Sure, and I, I only say that because I do think that's a conversation and a discussion worth having. And so, you know, hopefully that'll be a, we, we talked about that a little bit last night. So I know that's gonna be a formal, like actual question. Okay. And finance um, aside, like, Outside of the funding, you know, social equity is on the, the component of people who've been adversely impacted by the war on drugs, this right? So I think we, we all have a, a lot of experience mm -hmm. in that. Like, some of us have been to jail, some of us have been arrested. Like, that is the point of, of social equity that we've got family members who sit in prison yes. cells while we see our counterparts raising capital and, and uh, hitting late stage exits. So, what's, what's that side of the story? You know, how are you social equity? How has the drug war impacted you and, and the people that you love? You for that alley -oop, uh abraham because <laughs> um what i was going to say when we were talking about like first of all the general idea of what is social equity um you know i didn't mention it when i introduced myself but i am a you know i am who should be considered a social equity applicant but because for whatever reason my specific zip code didn't end up in the mix right and um, my father's, um, you know, criminal record was a lot more complicated and spans, you know, my entire lifetime and whatever else. So there's a lot there, right? My father literally spent decades of his life and my life jail, in and out of jail. And, and as a result of, and certainly as a victim of the war on drugs, so I'm certainly an affected individual. Um, I would say that I feel like the the scope of what is social equity as it's defined in our law, it does something, it does some good things, but I think it's kind of narrow in how it defines it. And, you know, sometimes like the, the shit you go through and what you've really, how it's impacted you, those are not necessarily documentable, provable things, right? Like, I guess I could show you my my letters from my daddy when he was in prison all throughout my life. I got a whole stack of them, right? I could bring my daddy in for an interview and he could talk to you about some things, but it's not always just as cut and dry or as, um, you know what I'm saying, as clean cut as that. Um, I would also say that it, it is not, um, as it's defined in the law, it is not limited to or defined by race or ethnicity or anything like that, right? And and I also want to be clear, it is not, in my opinion, it is not a, um, a woman, it is not a woman's rights type of issue either. So even as a woman, I feel like, yeah, there are, there are ways that women have suffered because of the war on drugs, but when we're looking at like the the statistics, when we're looking at, you know, the deeper issues of it, if you, chances are there's some intersectionality there. So if you are a woman that was affected by the war on drugs, you're going to be a social equity applicant because of some of those other 
parts anyway, right? And so I, I don't like it when issues get um, clouded. I don't necessarily, um, no offense at all to our veterans, I don't necessarily feel like it's a veteran issue, but that wasn't lumped in with social equity in the law or on the application. So I wanna make sure that we're clear even in what is, you know, and what's what, because there's a lot of misinformation about there. There's a lot of controversy about them five points for being a veteran, um, so on and so forth. And I just wanna make sure that we're clear and we're speaking from a clear perspective of what is social equity and what is not. That's a fantastic response. And I see Dante, you've also raised your hand. You got something to say, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I do. Um, I believe I'm social equity um, because to me, what that represented when they intentionally put that in there, um, you know, was really how most people look at it as poor black people. Um, I am a 32 year old black man from Chicago. Uh, I represent a, a demographic of those that are young black men that are either targeted of cannabis convictions or cannabis crimes and are the product of children from cannabis crimes like Shana had mentioned. Uh, so me being 32 in my timeline, I personally um, had parents who have uh, been uh, victims of the war on drugs, um, you know, uh, was, was, was born in Chicago, uh, experienced the Robert Taylor projects um, and being a part of, you know, poor people culture in Chicago, growing up in the hood, to be honest, that's, that's social equity. Um, and now being able to be a potential uh, business owner in this industry that they only see us as consumers uh, is threatening. But for me, it's empowerful and it's even more empowerful to, to be able to, to give other people a vision of this is what ownership looks like. It's not, it's not the white man in the suit all the time. And even further, you know, uh, really leading a way for people to want to legitimize themselves in this industry and making a, 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 a fortune for their families as generational wealth. That's so it's more about obtaining this license. It's about providing a way for people to have an avenue to expand uh, their dreams throughout what we're doing. So, you know, that's really what, what why I believe I'm a social equity uh, applicant because I'm a product of uh, cannabis crime and culture in Chicago, growing up in Chicago and in Chicago uh, surroundings, uh, having to deal with, with coming up in the 90s <laughs> or whatnot and, and, and growing up and experiencing the, the Chicago cannabis culture you know, not the corporate cannabis culture that exists today. So it's really more about spreading that methodology of, of involvement. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that. It rings true to the fact of people who spent all their lives growing up in, in these types of communities. And unless you come from that experience, you don't necessarily know what it's like to have to wake up and, and go to sleep in, in those types of neighborhoods and the insecurity of safety that you have for, for yourself and, and your family throughout that period. Ro, Sean, what about you guys? What makes you social equity? Well, uh, I myself was not social equity, but uh, our, our veteran, Walter, was. He was uh, social equity by address and then also with uh, drug convictions. I do have, I've had family members who were incarcerated because of the war on drugs. And 
like uh, so many others like Dante experienced, uh, you know, you don't know, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis how things are going to go when someone goes to jail or how when they come back, how they will reenact with the community. Um, I think it, uh, it definitely impacted our family quite a bit. And um, it, it changes so much the demographic of your community as well. Absolutely. What are your thoughts, Rob? Uh, yeah, well, you know, I've only known these communities. You know, I grew up uh, on the southeast side of Chicago. Um, uh, my entire life has been, um, you know, on the south side beyond going to college. Uh, and so living in that environment, you know, you have a diversity of friends, you know, uh, who... Uh, are drug dealers, people, uh, you know, but they're also students and doing very positive things. You know, it's not a new idea uh, that marijuana would be the catalyst to finance your dreams. <laughs> I had a lot of friends that's been using marijuana to, cat uh, to finance their dreams. Hell, I did it to finance my dreams at a point. Um, Everybody's uh, first startup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I Everybody's. <laughs> I was never right. I was never smart enough to actually save the money I was making. So uh, I, 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 I should have planned better. But I suppose that that serves a white guy. Right. Uh, but, you know, uh, again, to, to that point, uh, people ask me, you know, how long have you been in the cannabis world? Have you how long have you been working in cannabis? And I say since, right. since I was 14 years old. Uh, <laughs> But but I had protection my 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 white skin so it, it wasn't the same experience but um, you know I just wanted to acknowledge that yeah it, it it's a thing uh, it helped me get through college absolutely you know so I don't think that there's really much more to add I think that uh, everyone um, on the line has really made the definition I would be simply uh, belaboring the point. I grew up on the south side of Chicago in an area disproportionately impacted uh, by drugs. I'm a part of the culture, and I sold drugs. You know, there it is. About it. I have a question for any of you that want to take it on. I'm just curious. In terms of the way that the law was written, um, you know, uh, uh, is, is it, and I understand there are legal uh, issues and constitutional issues, but if we could have it written in a way that says give, X amount of licenses or give all licenses to, you know, black and brown people. Would that have been, um, you know, if we could do it, should have we done it that way? Or do you think we should be looking at the sort of the war on drugs and other thing? You know, white guys got arrested too. We just didn't necessarily get treated and beat up like you guys. Right. <laughs> so the point is, you know, the, the, right. Well, you know, I think that there is an intention to um, kind of have the thing in evolve, and that that's what the um, the measurement through the disparity study is designed to do, is to give them leave to do that. Because I don't think it's it's reasonable or fair to try to make these licenses say black licenses, and that's what people claiming that they were, and they're not. You know, it's not legal to do that. It's unconstitutional to to do that. But what you can say is the things that they have tried to do, which were say that if you are a uh, affected by it in this way, then we will give you some preference. 
or if you live in an area that's been disproportionately impacted by the behavior. But then they add into that, that if you also throw some money at this, hire some people that you will also get that preference. And some people are complaining about that as a um, dilution of the uh, equity effort. But what I guess my point is, is that it, it seems as though this stuff is evolving and that we can guide the evolution, which is one of the reasons that we're coming out now to start to speak and so that we can help influence the, um, the conversation about that stuff because there's so much noise out here. Uh, it well, seems you guys are gonna, necessary. You guys are definitely going to be leaders. So uh, I think a lot of us are glad that you are coming out and sharing your thoughts. Uh, Ro, did you have something to add? Yeah, I wanted to add uh, to that conversation. Um, you know, I don't know about the constitutionality of how we make those distinctions uh, so that we can give people of color, Black people, uh, a um, the edge, if you will, because one of the things, but we need to, you know, it's kind of like, you know, they didn't play fair in putting us in this condition. And so I don't know how, why we got to play fair to get out. And, um, yeah. you know, I, the thing is very concerning even now to me. Uh, you know, we qualified, uh, we beat the odds in terms of with social equity. We, all of these things, and now I'm in a lottery. I'm in a lottery with people who aren't necessarily uh, black and brown in terms of their positioning. And they, uh, because of the capitalization that they bring to the table, they have more balls in the pot. And so now social equity is not a big issue uh, when you bring the lottery into place, because now I'm just a guy in a, the mix with other people and we're back, back to the capital thing. So I don't know about the constitutionality, but what I do know is that, you know, we've got to figure out, and I, and I believe that the law, you know, the, the state is trying to figure this out. I don't know how we do it, but we need to make a move that empowers black people. That's what reparations is about. You know, the ability to repair what has been broken. And, and it might not be a way for us to play fair to do that. You know, so I don't, I don't know. You know, it's just a thought. And listen, I don't disagree with you on all of that. And I understand even the questions like, look, if y'all been cheating forever, why do we have to play fair? Right, I get that. So listen, that disparity study is designed, as far as I can tell right now, with that in mind, where what they're going to do with the disparity study, measure how much cheating has actually been occurring. And then you can use that as a basis of argument to say that we do need to set this many aside for this specific group. And the reason why is because we have all this math now that shows it's empirical data. You can't argue with it. I want to make sure my uh, Mexican brother Abraham has a chance to participate as well and that I'm not the only one talking. Abraham, what, uh, you want to jump in? Absolutely. So social... Equity aside, winning these licenses, knowing a little bit more about who you are is fantastic. I always in, enjoy getting to, to know you guys uh, on a deeper level. Uh, as always, I, I'm curious to, to learn from one enthusiast to, no, to another. 
what brought your love for, for cannabis? Why are you spending so much time from other hobbies, interests, and opportunities to invest all of that into this industry? And, and what does it mean for you? Because I know for sure, at least half of you, I, I've seen you guys for the last five, six years now at every years. single uh, event and conference and expo and speaking opportunity. Dude, I can't even count how many times I've seen you guys on, on stage or, or vice versa, leading the conversation and, and doing the work, man, for, for people who have been underrepresented in, in our communities. There's only one reason that you do that. It's either you're insane or you really love cannabis or a combination of both. And I'm curious to learn, what is it for you? I'll go because um, my story is a, is a little bit different than, than my colleagues. Um, I don't consume a lot of cannabis. Um, I came to the space first as um, a, a failed, uh, and it's not really failed business owner because we were, we were, we learned a lot. So I know I don't consider that a failure at all. Um, but I also came as a caregiver to my mother. And that was seeing her uh, benefit from cannabis and, and understanding that, that she was really only getting that, uh, that access because of me hit me like a ton of bricks. I needed to make sure that that access was available to everyone. Somebody asked me the other day, um, what, could I, what would I do if I would be sure not to fail. And I said, to cure cancer, um, because I saw how it helped my mom. And I wanted so desperately to make sure that everybody knew who didn't understand um, how to get access, how it can help you, how to learn more. And then that turned into how to get jobs and, and all of that. And you know, I credit Dante with bringing me um, into this as a as an organization as an advocate um he said hey we should do this and i was like damn it you're right how do we do this so let's do it <laughs> and so it we just we just took off running and it's and it's been like this ever since i remember eating pizza with you and craig um at the windy city cannabis educational outreach events that initially took place and in fact that, that's exactly where we met we shared a slice of domino's pizza and sat next to each other from there hey, the city hall hey. that's right it, it's been awesome right in worth you know <laughs> in, in our hometown on the south side so it, we've got yep. long roots and, and starts from way back when man it feels like you know that, that it was just yesterday but it's unbelievable to hear and see that six years and i'd like to say something yeah the years that have passed but i like to say something too about why we're in this space is that there there is so much opportunity in this space right now and it's not just with the plant there's all these trades that'll start happening and people just if one we can get over the stigma but you know there is there is reason that people have stayed away or been kind of standoffish for uh, with cannabis because it hadn't been a good thing for us. You know, it you know, people have been using this plant for millennia. It's not killing anyone. It never has, and it does all these great things. But there were all these negative consequences that were tied to it for us, and so we're overcoming that stuff. But once people are overcoming Abraham, it's going to there's. It, it'll be a really cool thing, I hope. And that's why I'm in this. I want to see that. Um, see something that was so negative not be that anymore. Because it isn't. 
So my motivation, of course, I, I mean, I'm a cannabis user, um, but, you know, I understand uh, business. And in business, timing and positioning is everything. Being at the right place at the right time has a value. Uh, you know, and I've committed um, my life's work to empowering our people economically and politically. That's why we started the Business Center, to help people bring their ideas uh, from their imagination and put them in vacant storefronts. And so, um, you know, I see this uh, industry as an opportunity um, for us to be able to leave wills and not bills uh, to our children. You know, I really want to play a significant role in bringing more people of color um, you know, into the industry, because I think that it's the gold rush, you know, or the green rush, if you will, and without a guide, because you have a lot of entrepreneurs in our community, but because we didn't grow up in a culture of entrepreneurism, um, you know, there is a learning curve, and that's what I've committed myself to do. And so the ability to have the license beyond the obvious, it also gives me the ability to uh, chart a clear path forward for our community. That's awesome, man. I, I'd shake your hand in, in person if I could. I saw Dante, you raised your hand. What are your thoughts, my man? I, what would I guess I would say how I, uh, why I started is or whatnot. Um, I love smoking weed because it really helps me with a lot of different things. Um, but, you know, I really wanted to be able to be a grower and touch the plant and everything until I started trying to dive into every situation dealing with cannabis, I started to learn so different, you know, so, so just so much, so much from cannabis, from hemp, uh, business development, and just the, the whole operations of everything. So uh, being able to see the financials on a lot of those things really kind of gave me motivation to say, uh, you know, I could set my family straight on this um, legally and to be able to, do it amongst those that 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 uh, you've asked to reach those, you know, uh, climb up those ladders and not to depend on them is really important for me. Um, you know, I, everybody wants to either be a bud tender or uh, work in a dispensary or work at a grow or whatnot. But for me, it was to be able to see the actual business development, uh, what, uh, what entices me. So that's kind of what keeps me going. Um, because like I had mentioned earlier, uh, we're only looked at as consumers. Um, everyone has an idea that develops a lot better than uh, regulated markets. And, you know, I just see the benefit of that and investing in that. Uh, you know, there are guys that want to be in this industry but don't know where to start. They have a connection to us. And um, I believe in building in that. Uh, because I know what it's like to know the Crescos, the Revolutions, uh, the GTIs, and know the owners and, and, and be known within this industry. And um, they still won't hire your ass. <laughs> so you got to make your own way. And that's really what keeps me going, I guess, is, is being able to, to, to making these guys have to work with me one way or the other. And I'd rather it be from an ownership perspective. 
That's awesome, man. Hats off to to you, and I can totally relate to that sentiment. I'm sure everyone else on this call too. I think Kiana has something to say about that as well. What are your um, thoughts, Kiana? Yeah, it's it's really uh, like to be right here right now. Um, first of all, with Edie and Craig is like a real full circle moment for me because I started accidentally in this industry. My friend asked me to um, go with her or to help her with uh, her first Women Grow chapter meeting. And I was just like, cool. I didn't know. I didn't even know, like, this was happening, right? And so um, Edie spoke at that thing. And there was, she was talking about, you know, being a licensee and what they were going through and how they were starting. And I was just like, shit, are you kidding me? Like, I had never heard people talk about weed like that and and to be that honest, was the first time I, that was the first time i ever spoke to i was terrified yeah and craig oh came God. with wow. her and her family was there and like turns out my cousin came it was like just the weirdest thing um and so from that i just started like going to different stuff and they honestly that nobody was talking about it that way and not even just from a business and money perspective but even from a um a medical cannabis like because at that time there wasn't like there were no this opportunity did not exist like and there literally were no i remember when we first started with women growing it was supposed to be about like you know helping women start businesses or be ceos or whatever and it was like there really weren't any opportunities at that point. And it was really hard to make your own, you know, business opportunity. So my whole thing was, I just want the people in the South suburbs to talk about weed like the people in the North, you know, like way up North do. I just want us to start having these conversations, right? And and I just started doing outreach and education and, you know, going to, um, you know, in my involvement with Women Grow, yo, blew my mind go to Colorado go to Denver to the women grow you know summit I'm literally standing outside of a hotel smoking weed with like a gang of white women and I'm like at first I'm like I am not even participating because I don't want to get arrested like <laughs> did the weed bus pull up and you know everybody was able to go and get some products there hey, too man, exactly the weed bus pulls up we all get it was just a life-changing like you know a whole different world what in the world is going on here yeah yep. <laughs> totally totally makes me wonder are, are are we smoking the same thing like it's a whole different conversation on the well, south like, side and on well, the north like, side well it's like this can't be right you're looking over your shoulder yeah, yeah these crazy like, these crazy white people what the hell are they doing exactly mars you're like y'all can do that yeah exactly yeah. I, I stood on the other side and this is like a ritzy hotel in downtown yeah. denver and nobody's batting an eye and I'm just like I'm gonna just wait and see what happens and listen we're laughing about it but I hear you Kiana that's the thing it's like look we want same rules for everybody all the time same rules for everybody so yeah and but we know that hasn't been the case but it's yeah. humor and trauma, right? Hey, because I, it's, it's yeah. centered around the trauma that we legit do have to look over our shoulder I, I gotta, like, that is the thing. 
I, I got a question that I wanted to come back to because we get this question a lot. A lot of you that it, it was triggered sort of the, the, the question. I'm thinking about the question because of what Kiana talked about and what we've talked about before with Dante and Edie. So on on the screen, you know, in this conversation, there are a number of advocates. So these are folks who have come and uh, tried to actively make room at the table for other people who look like them. Um and I'll just leave it at that with that description because I'll let you talk more about that. But so to me, it seems like it makes complete sense that the advocates should be in line uh, to participate in industry that they've been advocating to open up in the first place uh, for a very long time. That just makes sense to me that, you know, why couldn't you participate in what you're opening up for others? Uh, do any of you who are advocates really want to talk about, you know, sort of uh, the the dues that you've had to pay? Um, you know what I'm talking about. So on the one hand, you're advocating. On the other hand, you're applying. How do you answer those questions? Let's hear from Sean, too. You've been quiet for a second. Um, first, I was just going to ask her about the last previous questions about, you know, I really got into the cannabis uh, uh, by accident. Um, uh, I had a friend, actually, he's the MBO, uh, Walton Killingsworth. His mother was really regressing in cancer. And I was just going back to California a lot. And uh, I said, you know, I'll stop into this, this cannabis store. And it was MedMen. And I said, I'll see if I can have something that may be able to help her symptoms uh, for some of her chemotherapy and the other things she was taking. Um, so I went in and the place was packed. And I was like, oh, this, this was my first time ever stepping into a dispensary. And I was like, oh, man. And they gave me a couple of things to give back to her. I gave it to Walter. He told me it helped her so much. Um, I was like, oh, really? I, I just I was really shocked how much he said it helped. And then as I kept going to workshops and seminars and I went to one workshop with Edie and it was it was on Wacker Drive all the way up. Extremely nice uh, office. And uh, I heard her speak and I, I got hooked. And I said, you know, I think this is something that it gave us the confidence and the knowledge that we can move forward. Um, and from there, we said, hey, we're going to we're going to give it all and, and move forward with this in this direction. Right. Did, did, uh, sorry, I jumped on the, uh, I'm sorry. the, the prior question uh, without giving everybody a chance to speak. But I do know a few of you want to speak on this anyway. So. Uh, I, I thought Craig was unmuted himself when we initially started talking. So, Craig, you want to take a shot? No, you know what? I will. We there's been an upset on that. There's some other things I would love for us to get into, and so I don't want to burn up all the time. Do it. Run it. You got a minute. <laughs> oh well, listen. The things I was hoping that we would talk about were some of the things that. As the um, as people on the list and on the tied applicant list, we have been kind of quiet in terms of yeah, you know, we've just been trying to stay out of line. Like anybody was standing up, Edie was getting beaten up because of her role with normal, and of course that was just incensing me because the as far as I can tell, the whole reason that a lot of this stuff is even open for discussion and available is because of what they were doing at normal. So. I, my hope was that we could start talking about first off that we are out here, which we're starting to do, but talking about one of the reasons that we were doing this was the, um, the beneficial part of it for the community. 
But there is an economic piece of this that I don't hear anybody talking about, and we're all dramatically affected by it. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure that we touch on that. Greg, go for it. Yeah. Get us going yeah. on that. Yeah, well, you know what, Mark, it really is just as simple as there's a hundred million dollars a month that's changing hands that we are being that we're locked out of participating in. And the whole reason for us to engage in this process is to try to somehow engage in that market. And we're just having to watch it through the fence. And it's and well, Edie, do you feel like history repeating itself? Sort of people treading water from your first time around, people treading water, sort of uh, bleeding money, waiting. Um, it seems to me like a sure way to sort of have an anti-social equity kind of a thing happening. Um, how quickly does this need to move in order to make sure people don't, uh, you know, <laughs> don't go bankrupt waiting? Um. That's a really good. That's a really good question. This needs to move now. It needed to move months ago. Um, people are bleeding money, particularly those folks in the craft grow um, line. Um, we haven't been able to determine what's holding that up, but for dispensary, um, as far as I can see, what's holding things up are are disputes and lawsuits. Um, so we've we've kind of worked on a plan to uh, give everybody what they're asking for so that everybody can have can move forward. Um, it feels like there's this roadblock and I use my hands a lot. Sorry. It feels like there's this there's this uh, boulder in the road. And if we just roll that away, uh, the whole thing can shoot back, you know, can can start moving. Um, and. <sighs> and you asked about the previous round. So we were bleeding money um, before we got our license the previous time. Um, we spent two and a half million dollars just to get the license. We hadn't even gotten open yet. And so a lot of the work that me and my colleagues did over the, over the years or a lot of the, the, um, the proposals that we wrote and the opinions that we wrote and, and, and sitting um, across from different folks to conceive of this opportunity, we made sure that this time you didn't have to spend and 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 bleed money initially like we did before. So um, thank you, Craig, for the shout out to Chicago Normal. But we didn't do it on our own, but we we did play a role and and really study. Um, I mean, it was our job. Our, our, our work to study this law, to study uh, and interpret for other folks how to do it. Yep. Let's think about it. in the last round, in the medical round, remember you had to, for a dispensary, you had to control real estate. Huge um, barrier to entry for anyone to be in there having to buy a building or tie it up. You didn't have to do that this time around. It seems small, but it's a huge change. There are a lot, a lot of people that participate this time that wouldn't, you just wouldn't have been able to do it unless you had the money to buy a building. And it was a hit, it was a, um, it was an issue. And in order to market, to your point, in order to, to get this moving, we all need to work like ants. We all need to be pushing in the same direction forward. I'm curious about that, Edie. I want to I want to know what the thinking is from you guys in terms of going forward. But uh, Ro, I wanted to say something. 
Yeah, yeah. And I just want to echo what she just said around uh, the unity. And that is the primary reason why we are um, coming and stepping forth to give our narrative. Uh, because there, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about uh, being disenfranchised and the individuals uh, who didn't make the cut based on whatever irregularities. And we wanted to be respectful of their um, ability to mitigate that, um, you know, but at the end of the day, um, you know, this whole process is causing uh, all of us to miss out on a multi-billion dollar run. And, um, you know, the unity can come. That's why we're saying keep the six in the mix. You know, yeah, fight for uh, your positioning, but we have some individuals uh, who are positioned and, uh, you know, we did the right, not that they didn't do the right thing, the universe, they, you know, we're, we're it next in line, you know, um, and I think that the unit comes when uh, some of those teams may be willing to make the sacrifice, you know, because certainly when we open the door, you know, I think I speak for everybody on the line when I say everybody's willing to reach back. You know, so we have got to work these things out of the country in terms of equity and African-Americans. It's not perfect. And, you know, it's a competitive process. So, you know, everybody's not going to make it the first time. But I think that if we get more people of color, uh, you know, who are allowed to go through, then we can chart a clear path forward for those who didn't make it that time. So that's where we are. We want to... The lead, keep the six in the mix, you know, both in, you know, the discussions alone, you know, and that's coming from those who feel disenfranchised. And, you know, let's keep the six in the mix. Let that be a consideration when that lottery comes, because I'm nervous about that, you know. Hey, if I could, uh, if I could slip some extra, you know, pieces of paper with your name on them into that hat, believe me, I would when when the lottery comes, because I, I think, uh, you know, the, the folks that we're talking here have the fewest lots in the lottery. Uh, right. as it were. Uh, and so uh, that's a serious issue. So we're going to start wrapping up. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, sort of the agenda going forward. Well, what 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 do you want the message to be and what do you all want us to try to do as a community uh, to help land this plane in the, you know, sort of in, at least in the right country, if not in the right state. Um, but before that, did anybody else have, have anything? Um, Everyone said, said a lot of things perfectly, to be honest, you know, uh, you know, we have an agenda uh, as a whole. We, 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 we're really trying to be able to get the point across um, that, you know, like like Edie mentioned, this should have been happening in June already. It's, it's December. We're bleeding into the next year. Um, the spotlight has been put on uh, the 21 that made it in. Uh, and everyone is, like she mentioned, is bickering. You know, we have a creative solution that we need to, to move forward with. And... Uh, I'm just ready to compete, to be honest. I'm just laser focused. Um, 
everything else right now is just bickering. Let's let's move forward with it. We, you know, make a solution to, to move forward with the second round. You know, I'm going to speak directly to um, the black community and black people, because one of the things that has been a constant, like just a pet peeve of mine, something that has really gotten to me ever since this legalizations talk started happening is um, all of the divisiveness and all of the separation and all the combativeness that has been thrusted upon us uh, by the media. And it's almost to the point where, and I'll be honest, every time I've done uh, an interview, um, and I used to get so mad about this, I felt like they would always get Dante and Edie in these situations too, where the, the question is always, and the headline is always about how black people are being left out and how black people are mad because they're being left out. That is not to say that there aren't, there isn't some truth to that, but it's a very nuanced truth. And so I think we have to be careful as black people and as a community to not fall for the banana and the tailpipe, right? It's a lot, it's a lot uh, easier and it is a lot more exciting and juicy to be salacious, right? And to sell the negative story. But, but we as black people have to recognize various tactics of white supremacy as it relates to how we're being divided and how we are being portrayed and pit against each other in this situation, right? They, they not, they, whoever they is, they not just keeping us out by making the shit too expensive, making the laws so strict, making this, making that. They're also using very specific mental, psychological, you know, slave mentality type stuff to keep us in a real divisive situation. So I'm going to say this, and, and, and anybody that knows me knows that I'm very passionate about the cannabis industry. I've been doing this for years for free. And whether this continues, whether we get these licenses or not, I've still already dedicated my life and my profession and my children's legacy to the cannabis industry. So honestly, a dispensary is like, yeah, it'd be great, but I'm gonna still be doing this. But I am gonna say, this is an opportunity for us as black people to unify, to stand with and beside each other to learn from each other. It's a great opportunity for us to reach back. You don't have to tell black owned businesses to contract with other black owned businesses. You don't have to tell us that we need to have a certain quota or we gotta give back to this community or we gotta, like, nobody ever has to tell us that cause that's what we do. That's what we've been doing. That's what we're gonna keep doing. And we just need that level of support. And we wanna get that support from our people. We're going to be looking for Black people to invest in Black people's stuff. Ain't no, why y'all fighting and trying to get at, invited to these other tables? We're trying to build a table for us to be at. And so we just need, we just need unity from our community. That's what we mean by keep the six in the mix. Be mad at whoever else is on the list that you feel like don't belong there, but don't be mad at us because we here and we didn't do nothing shady to get here. 
and we ain't got no a whole big backing of whoever to get us here. We trying to figure it out. We getting it out the mud, just like everybody else out there. We all hustling. We just doing it in a different way. Bro, did you want to jump in? Yeah, yeah, and I think she put that beautifully. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm always concerned about in our community, because, you know, we have gone through so much in this country that you can get in the rhythm of chasing oppression, you know, and, um, you know, at this stage, I think what we're saying is, hey, you know, chasing oppression has its place, but let's chase the market share. Because while we're chasing the boogeyman, not saying that the boogeyman doesn't exist, other people are coming in and they're gobbling up the assets and there's going to be nothing left. The independent operator, people like the people, the six on this line, uh, who managed to get here however we got here, um, you know, we won't be able to compete because we would have lost the gravity of time. And so we need to unify. Uh, around what there is because we're going to all lose if we don't figure out a way to bring this to a conclusion that works for everybody. Correct. You know, and it's just going to, some people going to be first and some people going to have to go afterwards. That's it. That's all. Just like a door or a ladder or a window. Yeah. One at a time. Well, you know, we can't all go through it once, but the difference row, I think is like what we were saying yesterday. If you're on the ladder, are you going to step on my fingers or are you going to give me a hand? You know, and I'm saying that's what we're trying to do and been doing the whole time is giving a hand. We're not stepping on anybody's fingers and we're trying to stop people from stepping on each other's fingers because that's what's holding us up right now. I'll, I'll uh, sorry, Craig, I apologize. That's all right. Uh, I, um, something that Edie mentioned earlier sort of stuck with me which is why i want to circle back to that and and you mentioned sort of a proposal or an idea uh on how to move forward uh is there you know is there a path forward are we asking our supporters our community to do anything um yeah we worked on um uh this group of six companies worked on a proposal um we we tried to see what was standing in the way. What was that boulder? What was that roadblock? Um, it looked to us to be um, all of the litigants and, and their claims. And so we, we picked each one of those apart and tried to see how we could solve each uh, or how we could solve for each, um, each issue, each complaint. Uh, and we did. We submitted down. I think, Mark, you may even have a copy of it. Um, we started submitting it to the, the legislators and to the state, um, and everyone seems to, to be in agreement with it because it solves all the issues, everyone's problem. Um, and so we, we're working um, to try to uh, push that narrative um, so that we can move, so that everyone can move. If somebody has questions or wants to support, I mean, is there some formal way to sign on to support? Or I'm just trying to figure out if we can get our army to do anything. I, I honestly, I don't know if there's time for that. It needs to. Okay. It. I mean, it doesn't need that. It needs to be adopted by the state. <laughs> yeah, and that is—is is it a legislative uh, proposal or a regulatory one? That is. It's, it's both. Actually, it's. It, 
it's both. Uh, it it um, it makes a way for a second lottery, which is um, something that now everyone is familiar with hearing. Um, it makes a way for um, veterans or, or non-veteran um, majority MVO major majority veteran-owned companies to to get through. Um, it uh, creates a, a cut score or a percentage score for those who did not receive quote unquote perfect scores. Um, so it's, it solves all those issues. Okay. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I think this is great to talk about. It might even be a separate conversation because I don't think a lot of people widely know that a, an actual honest to goodness solution has been proposed. So this is like hard news, maybe we should have started with that. But um, I, I think yeah. that 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 perhaps um, we need to maybe drill down on that and have a separate conversation. So we'll invite you back. Craig, did you want to um, jump in again? No, that's uh, just that the plan is de designed, Mark, to do exactly that. Okay. to open a law jam, and it does. If it were implemented, we would be moving. And, yeah. and Mark, I will say that maybe um, it's not widely known is because it really didn't need to be widely known. It really only needed to be known by the people who could do something about it. So sometimes when you add all of the uh, all the other voices and noise into the mix, then we got a whole nother month of yeah, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree. Sometimes less less is more. Um, uh, I, I I see Roe unmuted himself. I don't know if Roe, you want to say something. We really <laughs> yeah. wanted to also hear from Sean and 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 Dante to take us out. But Roe, go for it. And Sean, you're next. Yeah. Real quick for the average person that's just watching this, and you're out there and you're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, I think the purpose of this is clear. Keep the six in the mix. I know we're talking about those that disenfranchised, but you also got your other brothers and sisters over here who have a path forward. And so uh, keep a watchful eye, stay woke. Uh, we are depending on you uh, guys to be the vanguard of our hopes and aspirations. And so we need you guys to keep us in your prayers and uh, to keep the six in the mix. That's it. I don't think we have to ask anybody to keep you in the mix. I think you are in the mix. I think you will stay in the mix. I think it would be, uh, I, you know, in outlandish if you weren't in the mix. So I just want to reframe that like I have before. I don't think we need to ask anybody to do anything. You guys earned what you have, and maybe you should have more chits to throw in the hat. But, yeah, the six are in the mix. So uh, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that that's supported. Sean, go for it. Uh, I just want to say Rowan Ed summed it up great, but uh, definitely keep the six in the mix. I'm right there with them. Let's uh, change that to pick six in the mix. Yeah, no. See, right? I think that what you guys <laughs> got to get is that there's a narrative being sold. The reason why we're saying keep the six in the mix because nobody's telling our story. It's one-sided right now, so we're trying to get people to cognitively think about the other side of the equation that's why we're saying keep the six in the mix i know I that it. we're in the lottery but we could also down the divide if nobody talks about us or knows us 
that's where we're coming from. Well, you, you definitely have the support of this Caucasian right here, Rose. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'll definitely do whatever I can to make sure you stay in the mix. Dante, why don't you uh, close us out? Give us some inspiration for uh, the holidays. Uh, man, I don't have any inspiration, man. I'm just, I'm just, you know, all since June, I've been waiting for, uh, for us to be able to get licenses. But you know, here we are, about to get ready for the new year. Um, you know, it feels good to be able to to actually uh, put the focus on those that have made it, that have uh, not so much the perfect scores, but more the perfect opportunities to, to, to lead by example. Um, you know, we've been in this fight, obviously, since the beginning, and we intend on doing the best. And, and like Craig said, we, you know, it's a million dollars a month that's being made by these guys. And, you know, we know what we would do with our money, and that's invested back into the community, the Black community, um, being more creative with the things that we've been doing for free with uh, throughout Chicago Normal. Um, just thinking about all the things that could be if, you know, we had an opportunity to compete. Um, so uh, I really don't have too much to say other than, you know, let's get this rolling so so we can show the Illinois industry how things should be done. You know, I, I think for the longest they've been scared of some minority competition, not because we're black, it's because we have the community, we have the bond, we have their targeted market. And that's something that you can't buy. It's just something that, you know, we support us. We support each other in, in magnificent ways. And uh, with us uh, getting into leadership and being able to be owners, uh, we have the advantage to uh, uh, 50, 50 million a month. Sorry about that, 50 million a month. We have the advantage to, to, to lead by example uh, from day one. It's not going to take seven years like it's dead, you know, like it did the reg regulated market or whatnot. Uh, we're looking for ways to, to support uh, Illinois in, in ways that, you know, this industry hasn't before. Kiana, did you want to um, add something on the back and close us out? I did. And, and Dante, that was very inspirational. I would love to just end on Dante's cute kids. But I, I do want to say something else. Um, before I got involved in the cannabis industry, I was not involved in any ways in politics in uh, in any type of civic engagement. I had never lobbied. I had never even gone to Springfield except for that one time in the eighth grade or whatever when we went. Um, I had never gone to the White House or certainly not in the White House walking up to some senator or some congressman's office to tell them what I think about a damn thing. So, but since being involved in cannabis, I've done those things several times. And um, I, I want to encourage everybody, but especially people of color. We can't change the system on our way in, right? Sometimes you have to figure out how things work, who has what influence, who can do what, right? And there are ways to, to change things and there's ways to build pressure from the outside and inside, and we can work in different ways towards the same goal. So we have to realize that our uh, differences in approach and our differences in tactic don't necessarily mean that we're at odds with each other, but also that, yo, you do have to go to these politicians 
and knock on their door and meet with them and sit down with them and say, yo, this is what I think about X, Y, and Z. Whether that's going to Springfield and doing it, you know, and that ain't no easy thing. Ain't nobody pay us to do that. We, did, we had to pay ourselves to do it, but we did it. But they also have offices in your neighborhood. They have um, email addresses. Everybody's doing everything through Zoom. There's no reason why we shouldn't and cannot be involved in this uh, you know, from a civic engagement standpoint, cannabis is that issue. And people will start to listen to you if you talk like you got some sense, but you have to know and understand what you're talking about and who you're talking to, to be able to have those conversations. So don't be scared to do that. That's not selling out. That's not being a pawn for the man. That's not none of that. That is doing what is your God-given American-born citizen right to do. And, that, and your responsibility, aside from just voting and whatever else and rah-rah on Facebook and social media. So that that's just all I want to say about that. I just want to be people to be encouraged to, you know, to be involved. That's a perfect closing remark to our episode and our message is that together as a unified community, we want to work to get more people involved. That is the way and the path forward that we're going to achieve generational success for, for all of us. And I, I thank you guys for, for making the time and, and spending the, the hour and a half with us sharing your, your stories and experiences and feelings about the industry. It's been a, a very powerful episode and, and one of my favorites yet. So thank you guys for, for being here with us. Before you go, we'd like to thank you, the listener. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to give this podcast a positive review to like us, or to give five stars, or to recommend us to a friend. And definitely don't forget to subscribe to the Cannabis Community Insider on whatever podcast platform you use. You can also find us at www.thecannabiscommunity.org, now serving cannabis communities in multiple states. Remember, you can't be an insider if you don't listen to the insider. <laughs>